0: Welcome to Publishing Gribble, the podcast that breaks the rules and helps you kickstart your career as a successful nonfiction author and entrepreneur. I'm your host, Melina Benson. Hey, hey, hey. Today, we're going to talk to Mark Schaefer. Mark Schaefer is a globally recognized keynote speaker, a marketing futurist, a business consultant, and many times author. So let's dive in. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted (laughs) to be here.
0: So Mark, in the introduction, I have mentioned that you are a very experienced author. I have told a little bit about your business as well. So I would love for us to start with, let me ask about your journey as an author. When you think back for your first time author experience, can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. Well, I think it might be surprising to know that um, I've written nine books, but I never had a plan to write a book. I never had a dream to write a book. And I worked in the corporate world for many, many years and, you know, really never even entertained the idea. And then I started my own company in the early days of the internet and social media was starting to become popular. And for me to be effective as a consultant and a teacher, I needed to learn about social media. And I, because I had so much business experience, and most of the bloggers at the time really didn't have any business experience, my blog sort of stood out. And so this was an unusual circumstance, I I guess, because a lot of people dream of having a big book contract, but the big book publishers in New York actually courted me. They said, we need to create new books about social media. And here's a guy who has a lot of business experience and seems to have a very coherent and logical view of social media. You know, will you write a book for us? So I had an idea about writing a book about Twitter from the human perspective. Twitter was like blowing up. But what a lot of people missed was that. Twitter is the most human-driven social media platform. All the cool things on Twitter were not invented by Twitter. They were invented by people who use Twitter. And I wanted to write a little book that someone could read on a flight and get Twitter. It took me six months to understand Twitter. I hated it. The first tweet I ever got, Moline, was, it's 4 a.m., which made me realize, indeed, this is the stupidest (laughs) I've ever seen. (laughs) But then, then, I, then I started to understand it, and I saw what an opportunity this was for global collaboration and sharing and input. So I wanted to write this little book, and the publisher said, no, we don't want a little book, and you have to write a book that's at least 240 pages, or we can't get our price point. And I said, I'm not going to write a 240-page book about Twitter. So I, wrote, I self-published. This was like 2010? Like wrote it 2009, and you know I was sort of experimenting with self-publishing. Then I had another idea. You know, long story, but I kind of had this epiphany that power in the world was changing and it was shifting from the big ad agencies and the big media companies to you and me. That now with the internet, we could create content, we could have a voice, and I wanted to write a book. On something that I wanted to call influence marketing, no one had ever heard of it. Nobody even used. So this was 2011, and McGraw Hill said, "Okay, now what's this going to be about?" I said, "I don't know. I don't. I I won't know till I finish it because this is so new." But I think I'm right. I think we are on the cusp of something very new that's going to revolutionize marketing and. This is unbelievable, but they said, okay, that was the book contract, basically, that I had no idea what this book was really going to say or how I was going to say it, but I was pretty sure that I was right about this new trend. So they took a risk on me, which probably would never happen today, and the book publishing industry was still powerful at that time. They didn't realize that what I was writing about was going to disrupt their whole industry. (laughs) So I got to sort of sneak in to the last glory days of the publishing industry. And so I I created this book called Return on Influence. It was the first book on influence marketing, and they had this big marketing powerhouse behind it. I was in the Wall Street Journal, and I was on the BBC, and I was on CBS News, and it sort of got me into the national spotlight. And then I did a few more books for McGraw Hill, and, and those were the days when the publishing industry was was dying, and new publishing models were uh, taking over. And eventually, I realized, I you know I don't you know I have an audience who's buying my books. Why do I need a publisher when they're giving me a dollar fifty a book when I could be making eight or nine dollars a book? And um, I kind of did an experiment to show they're not really helping me and so i decided to go back to self publishing and my last few books have been self published they've hit number 1 in amazon categories they're beautiful books you know they're beautifully written beautifully edited the inside's beautiful the covers are beautiful and so that's what i do i create beautiful books
0: yes and i think also it's it hasn't really served self publishing that so many people published non beautiful books People think that it has to be less quality, both no. sometimes in terms of content, but mostly not among marketeers. We, yeah. we know better. <laughs> but, uh, but but your books, they are truly beautiful. Yeah. But, uh, but Mark, apart from the lower profits per book that you were able to get from McGraw-Hill or any publisher, I assume back then it was pretty much the same with any publisher. Were there other reasons why you chose to shift to self-publishing?
1: Well, I I wrote a blog post about this a few years ago, that if you look at what a publisher is supposed to do, the advantage of having a publisher, it's all gone. So so to get a contract with a publisher today, you basically have to guarantee them that you can sell 5,000 books. If you can sell 5,000 books, why do you need a publisher? So they're not going to help sell it. They're not going to help promote it. There are no marketing teams left, unless you're a superstar, you know, unless you're a celebrity level kind of author. So now you have a manuscript, you turn it into the book publisher, you'll be lucky if that book comes out in nine months. When I self-publish, I have the final manuscript, I push publish, and I will have a sample copy of the book in my hands in one week. And so if especially if you're you know if you have an urgency to get your words out in the world or you're writing about something that's timely then you you know why wait 9 months or a year to get your words out in, in into the world so what about owning the intellectual property so I I got into a situation where uh, the Twitter book that I self published actually I wrote the book it became the best selling book on Twitter and My publisher, McGraw-Hill, said, oh, you were right. That is a good book. We want to buy the rights to it. I said, "Okay." They bought the rights to the book. Twitter's changing. So we came out with two more editions over time. And then a few years ago, McGraw-Hill said, we're not going to do any more editions. We're backing out of business books. We're going to let this book die. This is my baby. This is my (laughs) book. So long story short, I did fight and I got the rights back. But when you self-publish, you own the intellectual rights. You can do anything you want with that book that you, you can make it into an audio book. You can make it into a coloring book. You can make it into a movie. You can make it into anything that you want. You can create new editions of the book, but you don't have to worry about it because you own it. Today, My book is being translated into many different languages. I own the intellectual property. So I can say, yes, in one day. I don't need legal approval. No one's going to take a cut of the money. I can say, yes, go do it. So they've got editors, right? They've got editors. They've got artists. They're going to create this great book, right? Well, guess what? I can too. I can create a book. It's as beautiful and edited as well as any of the publishers. Is that an advantage? No. I can, you know, I've got a group of people I've worked with now for 10 years. We work as a team to put out a book. Anybody could do that. Let's talk about another aspect of money and sales. Many people overlook. I'm a professional speaker. Sometimes some people will say, Mark, we want you to speak at our event but we can't pay your normal fee. I'll say, okay, well, are you interested in buying books? Well, yeah, because that's a different budget. That's for the swag bags. That's for the, you know, that's for the. That's another budget. I, I'll say, all right, look, I'll make you a deal on the books. This is a $20 book. I'll give it to you for $16. We'll ship it right to you. And now I'm creating a higher profit margin for myself on the speaking. Now, the books that I published through McGraw-Hill, if I wanted to send them to a speaking event, guess what? I have to buy the books from Amazon, just like you, at full price. I don't, so so you go on and on and on and on and on about what a publisher is supposed to do for you, and there's nothing left. The only reason I could see why anybody would want to go with a traditional publisher is ego to say, I have a publishing contract, you know, or I'm working with a literary agent who's going to take, you know, 25% of my contract. you You know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that if they don't want to, you know, manage their own project, if they don't want to manage the book. But for most people who have a dream of writing a book, it's impractical to think you're going to get a literary agent. It's impractical to think you're going to get a contract It's false to think that anyone is going to promote your book and market your book and help you build an audience. You're going to have to do the work anyway. So, you know, there really isn't any economic or business reason to to publish a book, you know, with a a traditional publisher.
0: What are some of the skills that you had to learn as an author
1: or as a self-publisher? That's a great question. I like to write. I was always a good writer. So that was a good skill that I started with. Writing a book, however, is different than any other kind of writing because it's such a long narrative. And I think one of the lessons I learned is that you know I can write a blog post, a short blog post and put it down and come back to it later. But the number one reason why people can't finish writing a book is because they stop and start. And every time you stop, you waste all this time, and you create all this frustration and anxiety trying to figure out now where was I? what have I already done well, I'm going to have to go back and read what I did and start all over. so I think for me and that and and probably for most people, I need to write a book all at one time, and for me, the time when business slows down and I have the opportunity to do that is the holiday season so I'll get all my research. I'll get everything ready. I'll be ready to go. And more or less between American Thanksgiving and the first or second week of January, everything is pretty slow. I can lock myself in the room and write. Another lesson I think that's different is when I think one of the things that one of the reasons people love my books is because it does have my voice. It has my personality. And when I read my early books that were published by McGraw-Hill, it doesn't even seem like it's me because McGraw-Hill has a certain style. And so they wiped out my personality and made it the McGraw-Hill format, the McGraw-Hill editing style. And you know, for a mass marketing company, maybe that makes sense. I didn't know any better. So whatever they wanted to do, I just said, yes, sir, do it. But now it kind of makes me sad because I think my newer books that I self-published are so much better. They're so much more entertaining. They're so much more interesting because I, I gained the confidence to insert my own voice, my own. A lot of people, when they read my books, they say, Mark, it just sounds like you're talking to me. I just feel like we're sitting over coffee and you're talking to me through this book. And that doesn't come through in my earlier book. So that was, that was a big lesson. And then maybe the final thing in terms of what I had to learn was the process of, you know, I published through Kindle Direct Publishing, which is part of Amazon. And, you know, they're, 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 it, it's, a, it's kind of a menu-driven process, but learning the steps and learning what you can do versus what they should do, it, it takes a little experience to do that surrounding myself with the, with the right people I trust who can help me make a beautiful book, you know, took some time. So, I mean, I think the only way to really learn that process is to, is to go through it and, and try it. And each time you do it, you get better.
0: Yeah, it's, I totally agree. And about that, getting your own voice into the book, it is both about making it more personal, more entertaining. Sometimes more readable, really. Yeah. But also, especially when you're running and whether or not you like to call it an expert business or not, but we are buying your brand. Mm-hmm. We are buying whatever and your book, the, the, the purpose of your book is to sell books, but also to sell your other services, which are very heavily depending on us liking you and trusting you. So if we cannot hear you in your book, it's a huge missed opportunity, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it could be regarded as, as a mistake that I've made. I don't regard it as a mistake, but I could have been more strategic about this aspect that you're talking about. So for example, when I first wrote Return on Influence, and I'm predicting there's this new trend, and at the end of the book, I predicted in two years, this is going to be a mainstream marketing channel. And I was absolutely right. Hit it right on the head. I could have been the guru of influence marketing. I could have created a big business. I could have created a big agency. I could have created the first influence marketing agency. I had no interest in that. Hmm. I wrote that book because it was fascinating. If I was going to take nine months of my life to research and write this book, I had to be very, very interested in it. And so I was fascinated in this topic. I was fascinated in this idea. And it gave me an excuse to talk to the people who were working with these algorithms and these emerging ideas. And so that satisfied my intellectual curiosity. And when the book was over, when the book came out, that was it. I was ready to move on to the new thing, next thing. And I do a little bit with influence marketing. I've kept up with it. And I've been an influencer myself and helped others with influence marketing, but I wasn't strategic about it. You know, I didn't because. And and I think most people could be strategic about aligning their book with their business, but for me, it's just an intellectual. You know, just adventure. When I write a book, it's like getting another master's degree. I mean, I study and write for two years, and I at the end of that two years, I have a book. And I know a lot. I know something big and new because I've gone through this journey. I go through that process that helps me as a teacher, helps me as a consultant, helps me as a writer. So it, it, it definitely helps fuel my career, but it's not necessarily strategic in terms of creating new business assets.
0: I'm thinking it's very well aligned with your speaking career. Yes, because you talk very much about well, at least when I've heard you, you talk very much about friends and what's new, what's coming, what to expect, and that has kind of been the thread through your books, hasn't it
1: yeah <laughs> well there's there's one well actually there's there's a couple big industry associations that have hired me two, three, four times, and you know i do I'm a good speaker and i I'm very professional and I always do a great job. But whenever these associations see I have a new book out, they say, oh, you probably have a new speech too. And so, you know, all the time I put into writing my books and I think, oh my gosh, the money I make off of books, boy, if, if I was being paid per hour on the time I put into these books, I might as well go work at McDonald's, right? But it's more than that. You know, it's just people are hiring you because you wrote the book it's more than just the book sales it's this new view this new expertise that people want to be connected to
0: okay mark let's talk a little bit about book marketing so have all of your books been equally successful or which one performs the best and and just as from coming from what you just said that can be difficult to measure i guess yes <laughs>
1: In in a way, if you look at pure sales, as you would expect, the older books sort of peter out over time, and the newer books sell, you know, very very well. I think the first sort of epic book for me, you know, of course, return on influence was different because I had a big company behind me. But the first epic book that I wrote that I self published was in 2015, and that was the Content Code. And it just, you know, it it exploded. And it's still a very meaningful book and still, you know, sells well. And then I, I was in this period, I was sort of like really achieving my full power as an author, where I realized that I could become something bigger and better and newer by self-publishing, that I didn't have to live in these constraints of the publishing world for the content code. I actually had corporate sponsors of the book. Yeah. on The first page of the book, it says this book is sponsored by these two companies. So they paid me $20,000 to be sponsors of this book, right? You can't do that with a publishing company. So I was exploring that I had this new, this new power and this new voice. And then the, my next book was 2017 and that was known. And that's probably my best known, best loved, you know, selling book because it hit a chord it was it i inserted myself into the story a bit for the first time and you know it continues to sell you know very very well
0: it has you know, a very broad audience also
1: yes has a broad audience and then i sort of went a little narrower again with marketing rebellion which i consider probably my best book and nearly killed me <laughs> Because I just became just so obsessed with every detail of the book. Uh, Again, you know, as I was getting more confidence, and my only goal is to create a book better than the last one. And it was pretty hard to top known, but I do think "Marking Rebellion" was my best book. And then, in uh, you know, on the on the heels of the pandemic, I came out with Cumulative Advantage, and this is a book about really rising above the noise and when we're creating our best work and we're still being buried, how do we create momentum to kind of lift ourselves to this next level? And I I think, again, this is more of a broad book, has a wider appeal. Um, The title is a nod to historical research in the field of sociology. It also appealed to me because if you Google that term, I felt I had a chance to sort of capture That term, because it wasn't widely used, but that book did not sell as well. It sold very well, continues to sell very well. And it didn't sell as well as Marketing Rebellion. And I have two theories. One is that I started on the book in 2019, published it in 2021, but a lot of people during the pandemic wrote books. Yeah. So when I released my book, everybody released books you know Seth Godin wrote a book and Martin Lindstrom wrote a book and so there was a tremendous amount of marketing firepower going out in the world for marketing and business books at that time and people only have so much time and they only have so much money so it, it just hit this wall of huge competition the second thing is i don't think it was the best title it's a it's a title people have a hard time saying the words cumulative advantage, it it, it might not be immediately applicable. People might be confused about what does that really mean? I think the subtitle talks about building momentum for your life and your career and your ideas, but people never hear the subtitle. And so now as I've been talking about the book and speaking about the book, I talk about relentlessly relevant, how to become relentlessly relevant. I think that would have been a better title for the book. So lesson learned, I'll never know. I think it's a great book. I think it's again, it's a beautiful book. The people who read it love it. Unless and, you republish it with a new title, <laughs> yeah. Well, people have suggested that. I don't know if I have. I don't know if I have the energy for that. And I don't want to confuse people who already bought, you know, the book under another title. But that has been suggested to me. I'm, I might yeah. think about it.
0: Still, when we're we're still talking about that book, I want to highlight to the listeners: you have an excellent video commercial for this book on your website. I really like that. I actually haven't read that book, but after seeing that video, I kind of have to read it. Hmm. (laughs) I want to know what the answer is to to that video. So, to the listeners, go check out that video and the book as well.
1: And and, and, and the book, I think, cumulative advantage. I, I definitely took the biggest risk of my career with that book. It pushes into some very, very relevant areas about how momentum really works in the world and how, how momentum doesn't work in the world. And the last chapter of the book took me three months to write. You know, one, one chapter took, took me three months. It was agonizing. But several people have told me this is the first business book I ever read when I got to the end, I cried.
0: Okay, let's, let's leave it at that cliffhanger. <laughs> so
1: there's, so there's that. There's that. I really think it's an extraordinary book. The first guy that, that left a review about the book said, this is the first book I ever read cover to cover in one sitting. I couldn't put it down. And then I stayed up all night thinking about it. So, I mean, it, it, it's an extraordinary book, but it, it hasn't sold as well. And I really don't know why. So if
0: we talk about marketing strategies, what have been your key strategies? It, has it been the same with all of the books or have you changed over time?
1: Well, of course, I've changed over time because I think you have to. I think you have to learn and, and constantly experiment. But I remember talking to you at Social Media Marketing World, and I said, when it comes to marketing a book, you really only need one episode of your podcast because it all gets down to being known. You know, if you're asking someone to buy a book, and if they've heard of you, if they've listened to your podcast or watched your videos or have seen you speak at a conference, they there's a, they they connect to you in an emotional way somehow, and they'll say, "Okay, I'll take a risk on this." If you know, if you're not known, it's going to be almost impossible to sell a book. And on the other hand, the more you're known the more books you'll sell. And it it takes time. I mean, I sell more books today than I could have sold 10 years ago because I'm better known, you know, and there's no shortcut. So, I mean, I think number one, that book marketing begins with your personal brand. You've got to work on your personal brand. And if you want to learn how to do that, I'm not being salesy here, just being practical. Read the book known. Yeah. I spent two years researching and writing this book, and I nailed it. This is how it works. If you want to become known in the world, it's not a mystery. There are four steps everyone goes through. There's no shortcut. It takes time, consistency, persistence, but it works. So that's really the first thing is you need to work on your personal brand, and it never stops. You have to keep on going. You know. You saw me at Social Media Marketing World. Uh, So I was invited to speak at this event. And when they called me and invited me, and I've spoken every year, I think it's nine or 10 years, every year they've had this event, I've been a speaker. So the guy that runs the event, Phil Mershon, we started, I said, sure, I'll come speak at the event. And then we started talking about my past career and how when I worked in the corporate world, I had this global job, and I won all these awards, and I've got got seven patents, and I studied under Peter Drucker. He said, you know, I've known you for eight years. I didn't know any of that, and I consider you my friend. I said, well, let me ask you something. The only reason you're asking me to speak at your event is because I'm known. None of that stuff matters, right? He said, I guess that's right. And if I went away for a while and I stopped publishing blogs and I stopped, you know, if I disappeared for a while, you probably wouldn't be inviting me to this event, right? He said that's right too. So, it's the same with speaking, it's the same with consulting, it's the same with writing a book. Is that the more you're known, the more your opportunities. And then when it gets gets to specific tactics, you know, the 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 main thing for me that sells books is influence marketing. Is if you can connect to people. I talk about this in the Cumulative Advantage book. You create a sonic boom. It's not a 6-month plan, it's not a 1-year marketing plan, it's 2 weeks. You hit it with everything that you've got. You try to create this ubiquity. Ubiquity where everywhere people go, they start seeing or hearing something about this book. I remember for Marketing Rebellion, I saw a tweet that said, "I've seen Mark's book mentioned 4 times today. I guess I should go buy it." That's what that builds the momentum. Once you get people buying the book, they're gonna love it.
0: Yeah. So building a network and taking care of that network over time is important. But how long before your book launch do you start preparing for that launch with your network? Then with these influencers.
1: Well, I mean, it all comes together. Um, You know, you mentioned the, the the movie, right? I created this little movie for Cumulative Advantage. I created one. Marketing rebellion. I created one for known. So that's something people can look at to learn about the book to become interested in the book. I think it's it kind of stands out because not a lot of people do that. It's an asset that influencers can use to share and understand what it's about. A lot of people. I mean, I get lots of books in the mail, and um, I'll think, "What is this? Why did I get this book? Who's this person again?" oh yeah, I think maybe they sent me something on LinkedIn. When somebody gets my book, I send it in a box with something special that I've hand-selected for them with a handwritten note Mm -hmm. and a signed copy of my book and an extra copy to give away and say, dear Melene, or whoever I'm writing this to, I appreciate your support and your friendship. It means so much to me. I'm not a person that easily asks for help. But I need help right now because I've got this book. I think it's great and the world needs to hear this message. Will you help me? And so the subtitle of the marketing rebellion book is The Most Human Company Wins and the Most Human Author is going to win too, right? So I don't just spam people. I don't annoy people. I don't ask for people for favors if I haven't helped them out first. And I find that. That's very effective. People will be very moved by that. Sometimes they'll open up the box and they'll make a video about it. Say, look at this amazing thing I got from Mark Schaefer. um,
0: Do you ask ask them specifically for what you want them to do? Share to their email list or invite you to their podcast? Are you specific or or do you just ask for help?
1: um, I just, I'm not specific because I think every person is, is different. Maybe they have, maybe they do videos. Maybe they do a podcast. Maybe um, they'll write a blog post about it. Maybe they'll tweet about it. So I leave it up to them and I I watch and pay attention and see what people do. Maybe somebody does nothing. They won't get a box next time. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because when I send out, I mean, I've sent out boxes before. I mean, the value of every box is like 50 bucks. Yeah. Uh, and ca-
0: can I ask, how many boxes do you send out? How much of a network does it take to get to your kind of success level? Um,
1: you know, well, I would say maybe uh 25 or, or or 30. Okay. Maybe 25 or 30. This this year with cumulative advantage, I I tried an experiment with like micro influencers who I didn't really know. Yeah. Uh, but I worked with this agency and it, it was a total bomb. Okay. It didn't, didn't, didn't work. What I found was that if you just send a book out to people who don't, don't know you and don't care about you, then they're more interested in promoting themselves instead of you and the book. So these micro influencers, they just wanted something free. Yeah. And then their post was really more about them than the book because they, they didn't read it. They didn't really care about it.
0: Yeah. So you send out these wonderful boxes and you do that how long before your launch?
1: Well, that is the
0: launch. Yeah, but okay, you send okay, you do that when the book actually comes out.
1: Yeah. I mean when the book, you know, when the book is available, I don't do all the pre-sale stuff. I just I'm a no fluff kind of guy. It's just like, all right, I'm not gonna ask people to, you know, to to buy the book before it's available. I just say, look, it's available. Go buy it. Yeah. And so when the book's out there and it's ready, then I'll, and this is something, Malene, that can only happen after you've worked on your personal brand for many years. But when Cumulative Advantage came out, I did 250 interviews. I only asked for five.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was to kind of prime the pump, right? So it was at the beginning, there were a few people who have big podcasts. I wanted them to know I've got something new, something exciting to talk about. This is coming out kind of in this time period. I want this to be part of my sonic boom, right? Yeah. And then, okay, so now I've got influencers, I'm doing my own promotion, I've got podcasts, and they're all coming out in the same two weeks, basically. And then after that, people hear about it, or they know I've got a book, and then organically, then they just invite me to, to be on the podcast. So, if, and,
0: so if, if, you, if, if you were a first-time author now, yeah, what would you recommend that people do then? Because they might not have this network yet. They might yeah. not be there as, as known as you, because, also because yeah. they didn't have any previous books.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what would you recommend they do? Well, I think the most important thing is to have the right context and and mindset about writing a book. If you're writing a book to make money, you're going to be disappointed. Period. Right? I mean, last year, the the three finalists for the American Book Award, best books in America. When they were finalists for the for the National Book Award, they had sold on average 3,000 copies a piece. So you need to, it's almost impossible to make significant money from a business book. I didn't really start making money from my books until book number five, right? Mm -hmm. So I had been doing this for eight or nine years. I had been building my brand. I had been writing my blog. I had been doing my podcast, coming on shows like this. So I think... Whenever you write a book, it immediately makes you special and elite because it's hard to write a book. And most people will never do that in their lives. So, the fact that you wrote a book, even if nobody bought it, nobody, nobody is ever going to know whether you had a traditional publisher or a self publisher. They're not going to know if you sold five copies or 5,000 copies. They'll never know. Mm-hmm. But what they will know is that forever you will be known as this person, the author of this book. And so it it opens up new doors. It helps propel your personal brand. So you have to think about writing a book really is more like a business card. It, it's part of your identity. It's part of your personal brand. If you really want to think about how can I make, if you really want to make money on books, you have to think about the long-term. I'm going to write multiple books over, you know, and I'm not going to write I'm not going to make significant money until year 10 probably. I mean that's just the way of the world. And um, you know I know it's almost impossible. <laughs>
0: yeah, but it will pay off from other services like yeah, and, and, that, and,
1: and you just yeah. have to think you know if if it's in your heart that this is my dream then do it. If it's going to be strategic for your business then do it. If you look when you self publish a book you can buy as many copies as you want for about $2.50. It's, a, it's kind of an expensive business card. Hand them out.
0: Yeah.
1: When, I, when I self-published my first book, I just gave them away. I gave away hundreds of books because I wasn't known and I needed to be known. I couldn't sit there and think, oh, this is a great book. I expect everybody to buy it. I was unknown. Hmm. And so I just gave away hundreds of books. And then I, you know, I priced it as low as I possibly could so that people would buy. And then it became popular. And every month I raised the price by a dollar Yeah, because it grew and grew and grew and grew and became, you know, the best-selling book on Twitter because first I had to give away hundreds of books because nobody knew me.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good strategy Uh, and definitely also one that I recommend a you have to see it as a marketing tool and, and a brand building personal brand building tool yeah, and yeah. think uh, think long term right so mark before we wrap up i think you have something new <laughs> you're working on
1: well i mean i always have something new that i'm working on <laughs> and what's on my mind today is when i finished marketing rebellion there was a chapter in that book that i thought was profound And when I finished the book, I thought that is the most important chapter in the book. And maybe that should be a whole book. And today in our world, we really have a belonging crisis. I mean, I saw today in the New York Times, it talked about the record number of people who are depressed, how every psychologist and counselor in New York is booked for months Completely booked. You can't get it, you know. I've I read a study last week about Gen Z, just ha- they're having all these mental health issues. They're recommending psychological evaluations in elementary school for every child eight years old and above, because we've been through this catastrophe and the world is crying out to belong. Mm. And what's the role for businesses? In a world like that, you know, I've been in, 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 in business long enough to know that social change isn't really led by governments. It really isn't led by nonprofits. It's led by business. If you look at the biggest breakthroughs in environmental technology, it's from businesses. It's not governments. It's not universities. It's, it's businesses that are putting millions and millions of dollars into this. What about social change? What about equality? What about diversity? It's not going it's, it's to come from a law. It's going to come from businesses saying, we have to change. We are going to drive change. We're going to own change. We're going to put money into change. And so it makes me think about if we're in this psychological crisis as a world, you know, how do businesses and marketers like step into that? I don't know. It's an interesting question. So it's something that I'm going to explore. I don't really know where it's going to go, but it's something that I'm interested in in right now.
0: Yeah. So again, your starting point is always a wonder or fascination about a question.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a problem I see in the world and I don't know the answer to it. That's how all my business, how, how all my books start. It has to, has to solve a problem. If, it's, if it doesn't solve a problem, you know, and I have to be really sure about it, you know, because writing a book for me, it takes everything I have and it's a massive commitment. And uh, so I have to be 100% sure that I'm pursuing the right thing.
0: Yeah. So, you know,
1: I need to think about it and study it and stew on it for a while.
0: Yeah. So how about, a, I think I hear maybe this, this question comes too soon then, but I was wondering, have you any new ideas of how you're going to market that book? Well, the world has changing and it is going to change. I know you... You are also um, interested in web free and this whole new change of the internet. It's going to be too long to go into the details of that, but I'm interested in hearing if you are considering new strategies for, for launching or marketing. That- yeah,
1: well, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've launched my own creator coin called Rise. It's available on Rally uh, and people are already buying my books with social tokens. Uh, I've sold, uh, I think, more than 100 books on social tokens. I'm thinking about creating maybe a small book that I would only sell through social tokens. This is the only place you can get it as an experiment. I think ultimately, a book could become an NFT. And the reason that would help me and help every author is because of the people who read my books I only get a small share of money from a, a small percentage of the people that read the books because once people have a used book then I'll never get money from that book ever again but what if you had a book that was an NFT and an NFT is basically just a contract yes. that said you you own this book and here's the contract if you sell this book as a used book to something else To someone else. The author gets 10%. Hmm. Or if you buy more of these NFTs and give them to people, then I'm going to reward you with these social tokens that you can use for these other things. So it's the future for sure. It's probably, I mean, it's going to be two years, I think, before a tokenized economy and NFTs are so widely adopted that something like that would work but I will definitely experiment. I mean, I'm always trying, you know, every time I launch a book, I try something new. I experiment with something new. And I think, you know, it might be this idea about social tokens, because social tokens and NFTs, it it seems like, like really confusing and overwhelming. But what it's really about is community. It's about helping people connect to you, right? And that's what marketing is about. So why wouldn't I put make that as part of my strategy? It, it certainly will.
0: Yeah, and what personal branding is building a personal brand is definitely about that. <laughs> yeah. So it would be a. How long do you think before this book comes out?
1: Uh, I have no idea. You know, I'd I'd, I'd like it to come out in uh, 2023, but it's probably too early to to predict that right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, well, you have a standing invitation to come back and talk to us about <laughs> how this okay. social token NFT strategy is going to work out. Uh, we'll probably dive more uh, into that uh, in a later episode. I'm also still at a level of, of um, on these topics where... I'm trying to grasp what all of this new web three <laughs> means, uh, yeah. and how we can use that. But I am sure that the, a book is definitely an asset, and it's all about building and trading assets. So it's it's gonna be relevant, I'm sure. But exactly how we can use it, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, like some experimenting,
1: right? And 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 now's the time. Now's the time to uh, to do that.
0: Exactly, Mark. Thanks a million for being on the show. I've had you on my previous podcast, Marketing Made Human, before, and I would love if you would come back later to talk about your new
1: book. Thank you so much. And thank you for being so well prepared today. And I hope your listeners will connect with me on LinkedIn and visit my website, Businesses Grow. You can find my books there, my podcast, my blog is all, you know, all that stuff is free, not the books, but the blog and the podcast. And uh, yeah, I'd love to stay connected with your listeners and they can follow my journey at Businesses Grow.
0: Yeah. And I want to just uh, wrap it up by saying to the listeners, you really should go check out Mark's website. It's a an excellent example of not only those videos I talked about before, but also the actual the individual pages for each book uh, with additional resources. It's very nice structured and something that easy to model for an author to, to do something like that. I think the difficult part is to get this as sharp as you are on your video message. That's just excellent. made. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Mark. Thank you. That's it for today, folks. If you want to know more about Mark Schaefer, just Google him. It's S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. Mark Schaefer. You can go to his website, businessesgrow.com. You can find him on all social medias. See you in the next episode.